when he shot that Tom, it was pretty early in the morning. And I'm like, let's just, should we finish the hike or, you know, or go to breakfast? And we kind of yeah. both knew yeah. being hunting party, that you're going to keep going. You know, you kind of, you kind of have to, when you hunt with someone long enough, you don't have to feel that out. You just kind of know. I'm telling you, anytime you can share adversity, that's where friendships are forged. When you, when you can share and overcome adversity together. And, and so many times when we go out hunting, you know, you, you never know what you're getting into. This is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in here. The original podcast for the complete houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Get up there! Yeah! 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 Good boy! Good boy, Ranger! Uniting houndsmen across the globe, from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many day how many days a week can you spend on As much as I can to be honest with you. Anytime that I get I'm I'm out there. Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm gonna hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. <laughs> Good Monday morning, everybody. I hope you guys are all enjoying a great season, getting plenty of time in the field with your hounds and catching critters out there. We've been leaning in heavy on the Colorado 91. Hopefully this is the only time I'll mention that during this entire podcast. I need a break. I know you need a break. I've been hammering you. I've been hammering on the whole issue. So, we're going to talk dogs. We're going to talk about mountain lion hunting. We're going to talk to Nick Muckerman. Nick is such an interesting guy. He's written articles for different outdoor publications. He's a, a public educator, a school principal. He's a hardcore lion hunter. He, the way he hunts is, is uh, very challenging, and he's going to lay that all out for us. He does it a little different than what a lot of us do, but he, he, he also does things a lot like we do it as well he's also a bird dog trainer and we're going to dive in a little bit and talk about the crossovers between training Brittany's dog behavior you know just some general stuff i'm kind of stepping on heath's toes here a little bit but heath's been after these uh legislative alerts over there in virginia which is kind of my bailiwick but hey it's all good right that's what it takes to build a solid team and uh since i'm talking about team I want to give you guys an update. You're on our team. I want you to stay on our team. After March 1st, you've just got a few days left. After March 1st, then 
all of the Houndsman XP lineup is moving to the Extreme Performance Outdoor Network. That is a network that we, Team Houndsman XP, has created exclusively for our shows and our listeners. It's going to be a little bit different. There's a couple different ways that you can continue to follow us and subscribe. But the easiest way is just to go to your podcast app, whether it's Spotify or Apple or wherever you're getting your podcast, and just do a search. It's just like a Google search. There's a search bar at the top in Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, and just type in Extreme Performance Outdoor Network. It's spelled with an X. It doesn't start with an E. It starts with an X, just like Houndsman XP. When you do that, you're going to get a logo that's got the XP from our current logo right in the center. There's going to be some topo lines. It's going to be black and red. It's going to be the same color scheme as we've always used for Houndsman XP, but it's going to be the Extreme Performance Outdoor Network. Once you do that search, you can select that feed and follow it, subscribe it, whatever you got to do there, either in Spotify or wherever you're listening, and then it will auto-populate every show that you already listened to. This podcast, the Houndsman XP flagship podcast, Heath's show, the journey is going to be there, uh, all mixed up, the Dogmen, and we're going to drop more stuff on that feed. There's more new shows that are coming. Another thing that you'll notice when you search for Extreme Performance Outdoor Network, then the individual shows will start populating in there as well. So you can select the journey. And just subscribe to it and just listen to Heath if that's what you want to do. If you want to listen to a couple shows and there's another show that, you know, you don't listen to that often, then do that. It's all good. It's total freedom for you to listen to whatever you want to listen to. But the big thing is, is the deadline of March 1st. After the end of February, you're no longer going to be able to hear this show or any of the other Houndsman XP shows, the way you're listening to them right now, if you haven't done this new search. So, man, go over there and check it out. Shane and the whole team has been working diligently to make this this switch. I think it's going to be improved, and it's going to be focused on who we are and what we do. All right, let's get down to it. This is Nick Muckerman. It's a box shaker. It's time to dump the box. The Houndsman XP podcast is fueled by Joy Dog Food. Joy Dog Food has a rich tradition of supporting the Houndsman of America. Founded in 1945, Joy is proud of its history and the relationship it has built with the American Houndsman. And in 76 years, there's never been a recall. Made with 100% American-made high-quality ingredients, Joy Dog Food has one of the highest calorie-dense formulas on the market. For 76 years, this made-in-America product has kept hunting dogs in the field day after day, season after season. And when we say made in America, Joy has a long track record of fighting for American freedoms by being on the front lines against the animal rights movement and their extremist tactics. Joy will fuel your hounds and fight for your freedoms, fueled by Joy. You know, you find a lot of interesting things when you start looking around. And uh, I was on Field Ethos website, just kind of checking out what uh, Don 
Donald Trump Jr. has going on there with Field Ethos. And uh, came across, if you haven't checked it out, go to fieldethos.com. There's all kinds of good stuff on there about hunting. And um, it's a really good voice for the for the modern hunter. And several articles on there. But as I was scrolling through the articles, I came across an article about hounds and lion hunting with hounds. And of course, I had to open that up. And as I read through it, I found a fascinating article, well-written article. And that's how I get this guy on the podcast, Nick Muckerman from Incom, Idaho. Welcome aboard, Nick. Hey, thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, man, Inc. It's small world because Incom, Idaho is also the home of Dogs Are Treed. My good friends, Kevin and Nancy Hall live right there. I've been in Incom. It, it took me about 10 seconds to get through it. And uh, it's an awesome place. So it's beautiful country. Yeah, I like it. We, uh, I grew up in the Midwest, but about 15, 16 years ago, uh, after my wife got her degree uh, in the Midwest, you know, I just kind of said, we're, we, I think we should do mountains or beach. And she chose mountains. So here we are. Hallelujah. I would have lost. I'd be living on a beach somewhere, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I might have not even said beach. I would have probably left that, that choice out. It's like mountains or desert. That's what I would have gone for, mountains or desert. I'm happy with the choice for sure. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to public land and hunting. So. Yeah. Idaho is such an awesome place to hunt. I mean, it's just public land everywhere. All the critters are there. People that I know that are in Idaho, you try to get them to come back here. It was tough. We had, I almost had to bribe uh, Kevin Hall to come back here for one of the largest hound events in the world. He's tough to get out of Idaho. You know, and all my friends are that way that are in Idaho. It's like, why do I need to go anywhere else? I'm good. <laughs> just just don't, don't say that too loud. We don't we don't want to we don't want to get flooded here. Oh, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> as long as it stays in the southwest corner, you guys need to probably start building a wall down there. I'd say. I, I would agree with that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, Nick, the reason I the reason that. I was drawn to this is because I'm trying to figure out, you know, I almost, after reading a couple articles that you've written, I almost want to say lion title, this one lion hunting is not for the faint of heart because the way you tell the story, the way, um, you're very, very good writer and a very accomplished hunter. And, uh, I'm, I, I just want to dive into all of it. I don't even know where to start, Nick. <laughs> So how did you, so how old were you, uh, you know, about what age were you when you got to Idaho? How did you start lion hunting? Cause you're a bird dog trainer too, correct? Yeah. And all that started after I got to Idaho. So I was, I'm about to turn 40 here and, um, and I was 25, moved out to Idaho. Uh, my wife was, was in school. Uh, she kind of finished, um, and we, we found a, a, a job for her out here. Um, I was an elementary school teacher at the time. And so it was pretty easy being a male elementary school teacher to get a job, but um, moved out here and kind of a, you know, I, I'd wanted to get a Brittany and I got into to kind of that world right after I got here. Um, and then just kind of a weird turn of events. Um, 
you know, that kind of shaped a little bit of my trajectory here, uh, at least in the hound world is, uh, I got at 25, I was diagnosed with, with cancer and went through kind of that process and yeah, but, but, but I kind of got, you know, kind of a, you know, you get a little different view and kind of wanted to do some things that I, that I, um, you know, that I'd I'd wanted to do, you know, so I started looking into hound for lions and, uh, it was kind of funny. I kind of was under the misconception. You needed like 15 dogs to do it and kind of did some research and it was like, Oh, you can do this with one or two. And then I'm kind of like, well, I drive this 19, like 89 Maxima. Uh, and so I can't really like drive mountain roads. So at, you know, at the time. And so I kind of did some research. Can, can you hike into places and hunt? And, uh, kind of found this out and then was able to, to acquire a puppy hound and then a, a you know, a, a hound that had some experience, uh, and went from there. And then the bird dog side of things, I just, um, trained mine and, and with a local trainer, just kind of, uh, that I met as an acquaintance and it was helping me. We became good friends. And then, uh, from there, um, I, I, I bought another Brittany and trained her and, and then I started getting some of his clients that he couldn't, you know, couldn't, couldn't, uh, you know, couldn't keep up capacity wise. Uh, and kind of took off from there with the with the bird dog training. What's the name of that kennel? I looked it up. I can't remember yeah, the name of your kennel though. Cove Mountain Kennels. Cove Mountain Kennels. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you you guys are you guys are doing professional bird dog training, hunting Africa, um, running as you know you're the head zookeeper there as a principal at your local school school right? <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, you know that's funny because it's like. When I retired from state government, a friend of mine, uh, he had already retired. And I asked him, I said, I was getting ready for it. And I was like, man, do you miss it? He's like, I miss the monkeys, but I don't miss the circus. <laughs> I think that's a, that's a good way to, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. I'm in elementary education administration and, uh, love the kids, um, love the staff I work for and love, uh, you know, the, the families and parents I get to work with. Um, but yeah, there's definitely some, some challenges, just like in any, any job where you work with the general sure. public, you get, yeah. work with people that you, that you may not see eye to eye with. Yeah. It's like, you know, being a conservation officer was more about resolving people problems than it was, uh, you know, protecting wildlife. Cause that's really what it boils down to. Every job is that way though. I mean, it's just, it's people problems. I don't care if you're in sales, you're, a, you're a general contractor building a house. You know how to build the house. The hard part's dealing with the customer or the people. Yeah, I'd agree. And um, yeah, except with 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 the game warden piece, uh, all the people you're dealing with have guns, so that makes it a little bit more tense, I would imagine. Oh, uh, it was it, you know the the ones the ones that were packing the guns most of the time. You're 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 clear that it's there, and and you know they're there. You know the most intense times came. You know when when you were dealing with actual criminals and then you're really on point but um anyway i'll tell you what man the the article you wrote that that drew me in i mean there are so many facets to that article that just struck home for one it was very well written we already covered that uh but you know just the way you went through so many things in that like the the drive that we have as hunters selecting hunting partners you talked about that and and what was that article called on field ethos i i just had it up but i chasing dogs chasing something what was it called chasing dogs chasing cats yeah chasing dogs chasing cats what a great 
you know, that, <laughs> that sounds like an oxymoron title for sure. It draws you in. Um, but yeah, let's just, I, you know, one of the parts that you put in there that we've talked about briefly on this podcast in the past, um, let's start with the, let's start with this. Let's start with the way you laid out the drive that we have as hunters to go out there and do what we do. Cause you guys tell us, tell us just a brief synopsis of the story. I don't want to take people away from going to and reading that article. They'd, they'd be cheating themselves by, by listening to the footnotes here. If they don't go read this article, but you yeah, guys, yeah. you guys chose to walk through this area and just pick it up. I don't want to tell your story for you. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a early, early December hunt. So we had some snow, but the, the tops of the mountains were not, you know, just filled with feet of snow. So we knew we could hike a while. And so we just basically walked, you know, kind of an entire mountain range and parked on each side. And, um, you know, we got going, uh, cut a Tom, um, the dogs treed that in a couple miles and it had a female with it that it was breeding. Um, you know, my buddy ended up getting the, taking the Tom kind of reluctantly. And then when it hit the ground, he was pretty excited about it. Um, and then, you know, we had, I had two of my dogs and he had a puppy. Um, and then we wanted to rerun the the female and she had kind of gone on a walkabout and ended up in some, some melted off stuff. And, um, we ended up, she ended up in this really picturesque tree, uh, on this bare hillside. Um, but we were getting some pictures and kind of trying to get the, the young dog excited. And then she jumped off on these tethered dogs, uh, on my two tethered dogs. Um, you know, so there was kind of this ground fight and I went to help and pull the, pull the dogs and, uh, you know, away that were coupled together. And then the, the cat kind of came at me and swatted my boot. And uh, it was kind of a, you know, just trying to not get the dogs hurt or get hurt myself. And then, uh, we really, uh, we kept, kept walking. Um, <laughs> And, uh, cause it, you know, we were kind of at that point where it's, you know, when he shot that Tom, it was pretty early in the morning and I'm like, let's just, should we finish the hike or, you know, or go to breakfast. And we kind of yeah. both knew yeah. being hunting partners that you're going to keep going. You know, you kind of, you kind of have to, when you hunt with someone long enough, you don't have to feel that out. You just kind of know, you know, it's right opening and we're going to keep hunting. So, you know, we just kind of kept hunting the whole day, basically till dark and had, you know, some other adventures and, you know, ended the, the evening, um, you know, just with a, we, we crossed a giant Tom track that was like 45, 46 inch stride. And, um, you know, I mean, if you want to check it out and read it, but yeah, it was a, it yeah. was just one of those, those, those packed days. And, um, you know, where you, where you end up at the truck real late, the kind that when you're doing it, they're, they're not always that type, type one type of fun. Um, <laughs> but they're the kind that you think about, you know, and talk about when you're with your hunting buddy. And I'm sure you've had some of those adventures Man, yourself. I'm telling you anytime, you can share adversity. That's where friendships are forged. When you when you can share and overcome adversity together, and and so many times when we go out hunting, you know, you know, you never know what you're getting into. I mean, it's it's a good day. We hunted the Swan Valley first year. I, I hunted with Larry Anderson. I've had rougher walks to to coons that I've treated here back back here in Indiana than than all except one of the lions. We treated like seven lions, but there were other <laughs> challenges. There were other things, you know, there's deep snow, even a, even a 200 yard hike off of the trail, uh, in Mont in those Swan, Swan Valley there in Montana was a challenge. Um, so there was plenty of that. And, um, but 
I want to talk about, you know, one of the things that, and I don't want to pick this article apart. I think what the overview you gave was absolutely perfect. It, it piques people's interest and it's like, man, I need to go read this. Um, but one of the things that stuck out to me was the, the feeling that we have as hunters, you know, you and your, your partner, uh, hunting buddy there are, are looking up in this tree and you're trying to make the moral, the, the decision of whether or not you're going to, you're going to shoot this cat, this lion. And we do that. That's the story that, that the non-hunting public in the anti-hunting public, they miss, they mischaracterize us as hunters and the non-hunting public doesn't understand it. You know, do you guys, I mean, is that a, something that you do all the time? I mean, when you walk to a lion tree, you're not walking the, walking there every time with the expectation of killing a lion, right? Oh, absolutely. And that's, you know, and that, you know, that particular hunt, um, you know, it's kind of the first of the season. And, um, you know, we, I think we treated like 19 the year before, uh, and killed one, but yeah, we, you know, we, I don't know. I, I don't take it as a light thing to shoot one because you're, you know, you can't run that cat again, you know, and no one else can run the cat again. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, we, you, we're selective on that. And it was kind of one of those things where, um, you know, we don't, we, we don't, I'm usually walking for tracks, right? So I'm not usually driving for tracks. I'm not using a snowmobile. And so, you know, it, it's hard to, you know, when we cut a Tom with their giant circuits, like it's a little bit more rare than when I can just like, you know, when you can just drive a, drive a snowmobile up every Canyon, um, you know, if I'm walking. And so, so we didn't, we didn't treat, you know, we don't see that many, but, but yeah, I mean, last year we had, uh, you know, we had a cat toward, uh, in January of, of last season. And, I mean, I remember it was me uh, and two of my friends and we left at the truck and I was like, does somebody have a gun? Like, um, just in case we, you know, see some monster. Cause I hadn't even brought a gun, but yeah. And, and then of course we end up with this, you know, we end up walking 600 yards and, you know, tree in a, you know, a giant kind yeah. of Boone and Crockett cat and, and, you know, and we were happy with it, but, but yeah, I mean, it kind of, you know, there's, 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 I typically have a gun on me more if I get in a situation where I'm, you know, wanting to, um, defend the dogs, uh, rather than just, you know, kill a cat. But yeah, it's, you know, I think, I think, uh, a lot of hound hunters, especially, you know, with these lions and there's a, it's a limited amount of them and we like running them more than killing them, you know, most of us do. And so, you know, it's, it's something I, you know, you, you, you know, there is a debate, you know, each time. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, there really is. I even, and that's true for bear hunting. That's it's the only it's the only look form of hunting where you can walk up and make a true informed decision and take everything into consideration of whether or not you're going to pull the trigger or not. You know, yeah, and it, one of the things you brought up was, you know, you can't rerun a dead cat. That's a big one. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 it's the the ability to you know, to the best of your ability to sex and age, you know, cats and bears and bobcats and all these animals. And, um, you know, and, and, and yeah, you don't, you don't have that, you know, on a, a herd of whatever that's 350 yards across the Canyon moving through the timber and is going to be out of sight, you know, with, you know, you, but you get that, you get that luxury, you know, with the hound hunting, you know, which, which is, a, which is a piece that I don't, uh, that I think hound hunters should be, you know, more proud of, more vocal about, you know, of how, how selective, you know, you can be. Yeah. 
Yeah, there was a group on that popped up on uh, Facebook a couple of years ago, and I haven't seen it in a while, but it was called uh, Tree and Free. You know, it was just a spot for us to to post pictures of of game that we treed that we didn't intend to harvest and and um even the the folks over at go wild the social media platform for hunters i don't know if you've ever heard of that or not but it's it's a whole social media platform built for hunters and through our work with go wild they put their own category in there for recording trophies and they added hounds and one of the categories was uh tree and free so before you could put in there you know it was for what what you where were you what what were you hunting what did you take what gun did you use how far well go wild through the relationship we built with them just decided that that hey tree and free is pretty valuable and and gave us the opportunity there to do it for sure yeah that's awesome to hear that's uh and I hadn't heard of that platform, but yeah, that's, uh, and I think, I think, you know, most talent hunters who've been doing it a while, you know, I would say would, you know, embrace that, that piece of it, you know, um, you know, it's, I, I think, um, one of the, I think one of the problems in the hound hunting world, you know, is just that, that, that smaller subsection, you know, that, uh, that have a little harder time, uh, that have the itchy trigger finger, maybe perhaps a little more than, than is, than is good for the the populations. But, but I think overall, you know, houndsmen, you know, do a nice job of keeping that in check, at least the ones that I hunt with and know personally. Yeah. I think most of the hunters that I know, the most of the houndsmen I know, uh, the, the whole, when the shots fired, that's kind of the anticlimactic. Usually the people that get most wound up, about pulling the trigger are people who aren't houndsmen that you're taking hunting. Um, yes. you know, bear hunters, lion hunters, you know, th- that is their deal. That's what they came out there to do. And, um, for us, it's kind of like, Oh, well now, now we got to pack it out. Now we got to skin it. Now we got to do this. Now, we, you know, it'd been a lot easier just to leash them up and do what you did and go at your, or we've done so many times and go, go find that next track and enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's yes. The, and the, you know, the novelty of just catching them and taking a picture and walking away, you know, still hasn't, hasn't left me. Um, and I think that's right. what keeps us coming. And the thing that I, I, I really enjoyed the, in, you know, getting that glimpse of your discussion you're having with your, your hunting buddy that day was, Hey, you know what? This is a mature Tom. And, and if we're going to continue to hunt, we shouldn't be ashamed of killing stuff. I mean, that's, that's what we do. That's, and it's all part of science-based wildlife management. Those scientists set those quotas. They study this population, these population models and say, please take this many off the landscape to help the elk population, mule deer, you know, all the other things that go into wildlife management. So by all means, you know, if you, if you tree a nice Tom, he's got, he's going to have a big impact. He's already, he's already reproduced. He's already bred females. He's got kittens on the ground. He's done his job and, and now it's, it's time. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And it's, and it's finding that, you know, that balance and, uh, you know, equilibrium between, 
you know, predator management and, you know, and, and running how, yeah. And, and, you know, and running, being able to run cats and um, yeah, you don't want to, you don't want to sway too hard one way or the other. And like you said, there's a balance piece, you know, humans move into the landscape and um, you know, we have to manage predators. You know, we've, we've taken the, we've taken all the, you know, a lot of the, the winter range for deer and elk, um, you know, and, and so that, that, that kind of puts a imperative on, you know, humans to be able to manage the predators, um, you know, as well as the deer now, but finding balance and, you know, and, um, and somehow finding some kind of harmony, you know, with deer and elk hunters of which I am sure. both of those. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, you know, of, of, you know, we're, we we do not want to eradicate things, you know, nobody, nobody, no houndsman out there wants to do that, you know, um, right. you know, I, but, but, but finding that balance. And like you said, you know, with a, with a Tom like that, that's, that's done its duty, so to speak. And, you know, another time I'll move in. Well, I, I can tell you that, that, um, you know, where you were at, I know it was, I know it was early in the day, but skinning a lion, packing it out and then deciding, Hey, let's just go ahead and see if we can, who knows where the hounds will take us next. We'll just pack the lion out. You know, <laughs> that was like, these guys are hardcore. <laughs> you know, I know that that's nice of you. And I, I appreciate that, but you know, most of the time I feel like the mountain just kind of kicks my butt and, you know, we're just at the mercy of the mountain, but, um, yeah, that was a, that was a, that was a long day. We put a lot of miles in and, um, and we, we, we had a little bit more flexibility just because we didn't have, you know, super deep snow, um, you know, which, which makes a giant difference, whether you're thigh deep or, you know, boot deep. Right. I I can tell you right now, man, it would have been, we'll go back to the truck and, and if we, We'll go to another ridge and big, let's get that dude back in the truck because I'm not packing that thing all the way through to your truck. We'll see if we cut a track on the road on the way on to the to the <laughs> Macho Steak Burrito. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, that's, that, we, we always talk about the Super Macho Burritos. Yeah, that's yeah, that's what you. Yeah, I don't know if you're, you know, when you're up there in the cold, you know, you start craving hot food and that's what we always fall on. It's a super macho burrito in, uh, in the local town. And uh, it's like a 16 inch thing and, and it's just steaming hot. And we're, we're always talking about those. So yeah. yeah and, but, and you feel like you earned it too. I mean, you've been out there in the cold, you've been hiking your butt off, you've been hunting. Yeah. You know, I, I'll work this off tomorrow. <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah. You burn that, you burn in the calories. That's but, right. But yeah, that's right. We, we like, you know, we like that hiking in and, um, you know, it started as a necessity just cause I didn't have a vehicle really that could go on mountain roads and stuff, but, um, it just became a, a style that I like, you know, of hiking into the, the roadless stuff where you can't drive. Um, you know, my buddy on that one, Chess Carble, um, you know, it was kind of funny. We were I, about a, uh, two years ago, uh, we treat a cat with a, with a, a friend of mine from Missouri who drawn the hound permit and he had, um, a dog he wanted to run and we treat a few females. Uh, that weekend, but, um, we, we, we ran one from the road and my buddy Chess was like, Hey, this is my 40th cat. And he, he'd only done a couple without me. Um, and he goes, this is my 40th cat. And this is the first one I've, I've, we've caught turning loose from the road. And, no uh, kidding. And, and now, now I, you know, we, we, we don't, you know, I don't pass up a track on a road or anything and I've run them from the road, but it was just kind of funny that, that the times that we had went together had just kind of fallen on, you know, we didn't, uh, we, we weren't cutting many from the roads. I feel like a slob hunter now, Nick. No, don't no. It, it, <laughs> hey, last year I caught several from the roads, and and several of them were at the the mercy and generosity of 
uh, hound hunting friends where I'd stop and say hi and they say, Hey, you want to turn a dog in? So no, I, I, yeah. uh, I, I, yeah. I have no problem with that, but you know, often we'll like to do a little targeted hike or a loop, you know, into something. And, um, but you know, it, you get yourself in the trouble once and again, when the dogs go the wrong way. So what, what are you doing this time of year? Well, I don't know what your snow's out like out there. It's pretty low everywhere, I think, but, um, what do you normally do when you get start getting deep snow that you, you can't hike and you snowshoeing it or what? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, the, the deep snow makes it, I mean, you got to go a lot slower, obviously. And, um, but, but sometimes the cats are down a little bit lower if the deer are really concentrated. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, last year we had about 280% snowpack. And so it was, it was a real freak year. You know, a lot of lot, the deer were low and they were all dying, you know, um, winter kill. And then, and then the cats were low. Uh, we started heavy snow this year and then, it, and then it's been really light, but yeah, we just, I mean, you know, just, uh, different canyons and that are at different elevations and so forth. But, um, you know, sometimes we just put on the snowshoes and if we have a nice crust on the snow, you can go pretty fast. Sure. Um, yeah. One night, 10 year old, I had a daughter just turned 10 and we've been going out a lot the past few weekends and, and trying to get after it. And, but I'm trying to, you know, pace her. I don't want her to end up in some, uh, you know, some death march and never want to go again you know you're a wise man i pushed mine too hard too early i i've told the story before but i remember the day that my son just he would coon hunt with me would do but i remember the day that i broke him and ever since that day it's a he will go occasionally but it is not something that he he thinks oh i think i want to go hunting with dad nope I, 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 I remember the day I broke him, Nick. Yeah. Sorry to hear that. Yeah. Well, it's, 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 uh, a, it's a funny story other than the fact that I, that I broke him from hound hunting, but, uh, um, man, those kids grew up with me doing that stuff, but it's just a matter of me being overzealous. So, uh, you know, I think it's a wise, wise choice. I don't think we should baby him. I don't, I don't think kids should be, you know, carried into a tree and you hold the gun for them and you, you know, they got to pay some dues up front, but, um, and earn it, you know, but that you can go overboard with it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And, um, you know, with a, you know, just explaining to, to my daughter and, um, you know, I've got a daughter that's 13 that's, that's gone on some hunts and, you know, explaining to him like, Hey, you know, you know, once we turn these dogs loose, um, you know, we, we've got a commitment to the dogs, you know, to, to be able to, to figure this out and get to the dogs. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's, it's hard because you don't know what that cat's going to do. And, um, you know, luckily, you know, I've, I've, I've been able, you know, often I'll get a, have a friend along, you know, companion who kind of knows the ropes and can help you know, I'd like to think if I got in a terrible, tough situation and we, you know, and my, my friend had to take, you know, one of my kids back to the truck while I go went and got the dogs, we could figure that out. But, um, yeah, finding that balance between, like you said, you don't want to, you know, carry them in a backpack carrier into the tree and and what have they accomplished at that point? You've kind of lost the spirit of, of what it's about, you know? Um, right. So I I think kids kids should learn how to, you know, lead dogs and do their part and, and, uh, you know, my daughter, she, she walked to a lot of trees in her life and, um, she only shot one bear that whole time. 
you know, and it, it was just, it was just right. It was right for her to do it at the time. And, and, uh, we were with a good group of guys and she had paid her dues. And it's like, when they asked her, it's like, you want to shoot this bear? She looked at me and she's like, I don't know. I said, Hey, go for it. This is your time. This is the time for you to do it. You know, it seems like so many times you back Easter, when you're bear hunting, you get somebody, you get a group of people at the tree. Somebody's got their brother-in-law from out of town that came into bear hunt. Somebody's got, you know, this or whatever. And, and so this, this particular incident, it was incidents. It was, um, it was just, just the right time. So go for it. Yep. Heck yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's Man, a, that's a great attitude for the, for the kid to have. Yeah. 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 I was, I was, uh, I'm always impressed with those, those, well-behaved kids you know those those kids that just you don't have to tell them to to lead dogs you don't have to tell them to catch dogs it's three and time back they've been there they've done that and yeah and you know every once in a while it's like yep they got they got to shoot too and uh you don't feel bad about that one at all no no that's a there's a, a good lessons you know you teach them i mean you know elk hunting in the fall and camping and it's yeah. kind of like hey get to the campsite and you know, we're not, we're not going to mess around until we get the tents up and get everything set up and ask everybody if they're, you know, if they've, they've got what they need, you know, and then you can go hang out and play by the Creek and the rocks, you know, <laughs> the one, the one that, and this will be a little bit of a rant on my part. The one that I can't stand is the, when you got to talk them off of their iPad in the backseat of the truck or stop texting their friends on their phone. And it's like, well, just shoot this bear. Just go ahead and shoot it. We'll, we'll help you pack it out. And as soon as you shoot it, they're standing back and they're texting on their phone and they don't care. They don't care about it at all. And I'm just like, why am I skinning this bear? And why am I packing it out for this kid? They don't care. Yep. Yeah. That's no, that's, that's a, that's a legitimate rant. And we, uh, yeah, for sure. For sure. So, so <laughs> how do you, how do you, uh, you hit on a key topic there or a key point there that I want to go back to. You're talking about choosing hunting partners that you, you entrust your most valuable thing to, and that's your kids. And, and, you know, we've all had that brother-in-law that shows up. It's like, man, I want to go hunting and you get 30 minutes in and they're ready to go back to the truck. So how do you, yeah, how do, what qualifies as a good hunting partner because you you identified chess as you know one of those guys that's there through thick and thin you know what app i use on my phone more than any other app besides the podcast app to listen to this here podcast i use onyx onyx maps is the most comprehensive mapping system for hunters on the market today i use it all the time when i was in new mexico I was looking at 40,000 acres of ranch that I needed to learn. I flip open Onyx and just start studying, studying the map. When I'm riding trails, I put the tracking app on. It helps me get around in strange country. I could mark water sources, food sources, bear sign, just all kinds of options within Onyx. You need to check out Onyx Maps by going to houndsmanxp.com. Click on the link on our sponsor page. You'll go right to Onyx Maps, and when you check out, enter the code HXP20, and you will get 20% off of your order. Know where you stand with Onyx. 
The Houndsman XP podcast only endorses products that we would use ourselves. And I do use Elite Nutrition supplements. Elite Nutrition offers supplements for your horses, your mules, your dogs, and even you. These all-natural products work with your dog's natural immune system and its normal natural body function, not to treat symptoms, but to fix problems. Stop pumping pharmaceutical toxins into yourself or your dogs and start using these all-natural products that work with the perfect system that God gave you. Go to tryelitenutrition.com and check out their products for wound care, prebiotic, probiotic, puppy stuff. It's all there. Parasite control. If you expect extreme performance, you need Elite Nutrition. Yeah, and that's, you know, it's a great question. And I think uh, it's it's kind of a, gosh, it's like a case study. You know, if you look at different, you know, groups of guys and guys that, that hunt together and you kind of are attracted to, you know, like-mindedness. Um, you know, with, with chess, it was just kind of, uh, you know, we, we became buddies and, and he just, you know, he, he could get around the, he's a younger guy and he could get around, um, you know, the mountains real well. And, um, and we hunted a lot together before we were, you know, treeing a lot. And uh, I think the first winter he went, it was just a, like, it was like, I remember being attacked by a swarm of bees in February. That's how warm it was. It was like, and we had to walk like four or five miles to get to like snow patches. I mean, it was so, but, but I mean, really just, uh, you know, that like-mindedness, but that doesn't mean that I wouldn't, uh, you know, that I don't, you know, hunt with guys that maybe, um, you know, uh, have a different level of intensity, um, you know, for other things with the hound thing, it's just hard because you, you know, it's just not something you can just walk away from once those dogs are out. You know, if, if a guy gets tired elk hunting and wants to go back to the truck, that's, you know, that's fine. And, um, and then, you know, I talked about another, another good friend of mine and he's, he's really tough guy and he can, the physical aspect's not a problem, but, um, he just got, you know, we caught a cat in a real low cedar tree and I was taking pictures of it and he was, he was really worried that cat was just going to jump on my face, you know, and I'm, you know, trying to explain that that's not really, you know, what happens. And, um, but it, it made him real uncomfortable, you know, so it's just different reasons that, that with the cat hunting in particular, um, you know, that, it, that it, you do have to be a little discerning so that you kind of have like-minded styles, I guess. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, I don't, you know, you don't want to sound like, uh, you know, I just wouldn't go, go hunt with anybody, but I think, you know, that kind of the backcountry walk-in hunts where you're not just, uh, you know, walking to a, a tree that's a set amount, you know, a, a certain distance away from the, the truck or the snowmobile that's known, um, you know, it's a little bit, it can be, it can, it can bring out different things in people, you know? Yeah, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with being selective and hunting partners at all. I mean, it's think about all the responsibility that that you're putting on that person. If you if you get in the in one of those rocky outcroppings and you twist a knee, uh, or you know, I don't know how many houndsmen that have died from heart attacks. I was coon hunting with a guy one time back here in Indiana that started having some kind of medical episode. And we were down way off the road. I got him back up to a cow pasture, drove through um, uh, Weaver's electric fence, just drove my truck right through it. That couldn't find the gate, and I just like I'll fix it later. Got him out of there, took him to the hospital. But I mean, there is a certain level of obligation for us as hunters to be 
to be ready to handle situations like that, but we are putting that kind of responsibility on other people too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a, you know, that's a, it's, it's not just going out and, and shooting something, you know, there's other pieces to it when right. you're out in the wild, whether it's, you know, a swamp hunting raccoons or a mountain hunting lions or, you know, elk or whatever. Um, yeah. This, yeah. This, and there's this a level just, of trust. Yeah. Level of trust. That's right. You know, this isn't a ride or die, buddy. We're asking to go pick up car parts at the AutoZone, you know. <laughs> it's got to be yeah, a little it, bit of a deeper it, commitment than that. Yeah. And 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 what I found, you know, um, you know, a lot with with the lion hunting in particular is um I wasn't kind of prepared for this just as I as I got into hound hunting, but you know, there's there's a lot of people that would love to go and shoot a lion, but there's not a lot of people that want to go day after day, weekend after weekend, you know, and just go through the process of catching cats and letting cats go and, 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 and making big hikes and things like that. And, mm-hmm. um, I've got, you know, several friends that just like the process of it, even though they don't have their own hounds and, 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 you know, I'm lucky to have those friends to go with. We got, we got a, a buddy of ours. He just got his first hound this year. I don't know how many years he's been going to the mountain and tracking dogs, running the radio catching dogs he's got a toyota truck he's got a dog box and i've seen i've seen guys like this all over the mountains and uh, you know they're just they just want to be a part of the process and he just got his first hound this year and uh i think it ruined him because now i can't call him on the radio to head off my dogs because he's got his own dog so now we got to find a new guy that, <laughs> that can fill that role but it speaks to what you said um uh, i heard a guy one time he said, if you call me and tell me you want to go bear hunting, don't don't come thinking that you're automatically going to be the guy on the trigger. Show up ready to work. Show up ready to put the time in. Show up ready to do all the things that our buddy Clater has done for years. You know, he, he shows that he had his own GPS system. He had his own leashes. He had his own dog box. He had a Toyota truck. He had all the gear except the dog. And, yeah. and when Clater got a dog, it was like, Yes, Clayton's got a dog, you know, and and so you feel more than happy to involve him in all of that sort of stuff. And I, at times, it's even better than me showing up to hunt with this group in Virginia, you know, a few times a year, and I show up and I've got dogs. Clayton, Clayton's done a lot more. He's part of that pack, you know. I'm just a yeah, an interloper. Yeah, I've I have a lot of a lot of respect for that, you know, and and it, yeah. you know, because he loves the. Uh, you know, lo- he loved the chase before he even, you know, got a dog. And, um, that's a beautiful yeah, like, way to put it. Yeah. And you know, I, my, my buddy last year who, uh, he was with me in chess, my, my buddy Griffin and, and he killed, you know, this, you know, just giant last year, you know, and he's, I mean, he, he, he texts me every, every Friday, Hey, we taking your, you know, we taking your girl out this weekend, you know, and, and he's ready to rock and roll and he knows there's nothing in it for him except the adventure and, and being a part of something like that. And so, um, yeah, you find those friends, you want to, yeah, you, know, you want to hold on to them for sure. And you want to see it and you want to involve them. We've yeah. all hunted with those guys. It's like, man, I hope he doesn't call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for, for sure. For sure. Yeah. 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 Well, Nick, it's um, what got you into writing? Because I've written, I've written articles for Full Cry, you know, Bear Hunting Magazine, a few articles here and there for different publications. 
But when I read your article, I mean, this is definitely something that you were inspired to do. Um, you know, usually when I'm writing, it's to to meet a deadline, and and I try to. But you, your writing abilities dwarf mine. So, so what compelled you to to start writing? Um, yeah, that's a good question. It goes way back. I mean, um, when I was growing up, I was like eight or nine years old, and um, a, a, a buddy of my dad's, uh, was the editor for a, a magazine, kind of a Midwest hunting and fishing one called outdoor guide. Um, his name was Bobby Whitehead, uh, super nice guy, but he had kind of asked me, Hey, do you want to, do you want to write some stuff kind of from a kid perspective, you know? And, you know, and as a, as a kid in middle and, and kind of early high school, I was writing, uh, squirrel hunting and turkey hunting and frog gigging and, you know, a, a vacation ocean fishing articles. And, um, and then I, you know, just, I kind of fell away from it. The process wasn't that fun for me. Um, at that point, um, you know, kind of went through schooling, um, and then kind of got back into it about eight or nine years ago. Um, I, I, I went on a, I, I, my, I actually wrote about my first lion, um, that, that I, that I, that I caught, um, I, I say that loosely because I got to turn a dog in to a lion track that my friend had hunted hard for like 12 days to find. Um, but point was, I wrote about that, um, and then found it, you know, I really liked writing the dog stuff and, and kind of got more into it. Um, yeah, yeah. And I don't know. I mean, it was a, it just kind of a process getting there. I enjoy the process and I enjoy kind of, um, especially writing about dogs, you know, you feel like you kind of honor the dogs and honor the game in it. And I don't know if you got that same sense, you know, when you're writing about your own dogs for those magazines. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think it, the, the most, um, intriguing articles I read aren't about the individual, you know, they're about the things that you talked about, honoring the hunt, honoring the dog, honoring the experience, you know, uh, when I when I read your articles and the thing that it drove me to contact you, I thought, man, this isn't just a guy going through the motions out there trying to stack up body counts or counting trees. I mean, he's taking he's taking the whole experience in and sharing it. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. And and the the thing I found it was kind of, you know, just writing about hound hunting is um you know, I, ha I have so much respect for, for lions. Um, first, first off, they were kind of the, the reason, you know, I wanted to, to do the lion thing, you know, and then I got into bears and then, um, did bobcats. And of course got my butt kicked a million times doing that. Um, <laughs> but, but the, the lions, you know, I have so much respect for, you know, they're not like a wolf, you know, they don't, they, they don't hunt in a pack, you know, they don't hibernate when, when the going gets tough for five months. Um, but with all, you know, I, I couldn't respect them more as a game animal. But then when you see a 35 pound hound put one of these 160, 175 pound toms up on its own, you start going, man, like, like this little dog here that was like licking my toddler's face like yesterday yeah, has now like put this giant tom in a tree on its own and holding it there. Like this, 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 this cat scared of this little dog and like the, the respect for the heart that's, you know, the kind of that heart that a hound has is, is, is pretty unbelievable, almost un, unfathomable, you know, as a, as a fellow hunter to the hound to be like, man, like I can, I can go up these mountains and act like it's some big deal, but like this hound's got 10 times more hunt in it than I do. 
I just watch. I, I even look at my small Yog Terrier and I think about the heart he's got and how much, how many more steps he has to take than I do to get places. And yet he's always ready to go. And, yep. and they inspire all my hounds inspire me to go places. And, you know, when I hear people say that it's easier, it's, it's not fair. It's like, man, just like you capture so great in your articles, you capture that feeling. It's like, the hounds went that way. That choice has been made for us. We're going. We've got to go. There's not a choice yeah. to be made at that point. It's yeah. been made for you. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then, you know, I've hunted with friends before, you know, we're, you know, we're out, we're out hiking and, you know, maybe I'd hunted previous days. The dogs are sore, kind of foot sore, kind of hobbling around and, like, are you sure they, they can, uh, like, they're going to be able to do this. And I'm like, just like, if we find a track, like you're, all of that disappears, like they're not mm -hmm. foot sore anymore. Like they just go, I mean, they still may be foot sore, but you can't tell, you know, they're, they, they, they still may be sore. They're not as, they're not as fast as they were yesterday, but, um, you know, they snap out of it so quick. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The good ones do for sure. The, the great, yeah. the great hounds, they forget everything else. And I think, the greatest houndsmen I've ever been around are the same way. You can take somebody that, you know, my buddy, Larry Anderson, um, he was like that. We could be dead beat tired. We could be thinking about going back to the cabin. We could be thinking about the super macho burrito and, <laughs> and all of a sudden bang, you know, it's on and you just forget about all of it. And it's good to hunt with people like that because sometimes you need that encouragement. You know, and, and I try to be the encouragement, but sometimes, you know, it's good to have somebody else there that's, that's pulling you along. There was a book, Absolutely. there's a book that Stephen Pressfield wrote. It's called warrior ethos. And, um, he talks about that. He talks about the, the ethos of the warriors, you know, how they didn't do it for themselves. They did it because, um, they, they were, they saw their brothers doing it. So it inspired them to do it too, you know, and it's, it's a brilliant, brilliantly writ, written book. Of course, Stephen Pressfield was a brilliant author, but, um, that, that really spoke to my heart. And I, I dwell on that or I draw on that at times when, when, uh, I saw that in the Marine Corps, you know, I saw that when I was a conservation officer, you know, you're going to launch this boat into this this fast water situation because your buddy's getting ready to go and you don't want him to go alone. I think that's important as a, as a, a good hunter to be there for your buddies. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then feel like the hound, the hound piece of it, you know, even raises those stakes and the, the sense of responsibility that you have, that it's not just for each other, but also making sure the hounds get back safely and, you know, are, are accounted for. That is a key piece. You're exactly right, man. Cause there's several people and I'm, I've hunted a lot by myself over the years. You know, I think that guy that has got that level of dedication to his hounds, I think that's a guy that we can look at and say, that's a houndsman. You know, if you yeah. don't have that level of dedication, you're just a guy with a dog trying to, trying to chase a critter around, but a guy that's got that level of commitment when nobody else was around, it's just him and his dogs. He's got that level of commitment to do whatever it takes to get to him. I think we can, I think we can hold that guy up and call him a houndsman. I agree. Yeah. 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 
Well, I got it. Okay. So let's shift gears here a little bit. You know, you're doing a lot of bird dog training, uh, with Cove mountain kennels there. And, um, I'm always intrigued by the bird dog trainers and dog behavior and the things that are transferable skills that we can take from the retriever world and use them with hounds, the things we can take from our pointing breeds and our, our flusher breeds and, and even our police working dogs and things like that. And, and how we, we bring all those things together to make us better houndsmen, better dog trainers, stuff like that. So what are some things that you've seen, um, from the bird dog side that maybe you've brought over to implement with, with your own hounds and then also vice versa? Yeah. I mean, you know, I work primarily with pointing dogs and, um, you know, a, a pointing dog next to a hound, you know, they're just a totally different animal. The hound is, you know, I, I think they're just closer to the wolves. They're more, um, instinctive, um, less refined. Um, they, they hard headed may not be the right word. I mean, in, in the, you know, the scientific piece you'd be looking at is how they, you know, you, you have these, these people doing studies on dogs to see how many, um, you know, how many times it takes a dog to kind of learn something, how many trials, you know, hounds don't do too hot on those bird dogs are usually in the top 20. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, you've got the positive and negative reinforcement and then, and then something that I see carryover is, um, you know, just trying to sit back and, and these are things I learned along the way. And then from, from working with, you know, with, with another trainer, but, um, you know, this idea, you know, what do you, what do you teach in the dog? You know? So for instance, um, you know, I don't, so here, here's an example and it's kind of, um, specialized, but you think about, you know, a dog on point on a bird. Right. Um, and, you know, working with a trainer who kind of trained me, you know, it was kind of like, Hey, we don't, we don't verbally woe a dog on point. Right. So the woe command stops the dog. You can teach him to, to stop a, a bird dog. Um, and I'm kind of like, well, you know, Hey, when I was growing up and we'd hunt with people's pointers, they're always woeing their dog, uh, you know, when the dog's on point and, you know, he said, well, well then the dog's staying there. Cause you're there. But, but what if, you know, this methodology of training is to teach this dog that this bird can, this bird sort of has this magical power that it can, that it can, I mean, hurt isn't the right word, but like that the, 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 the bird holds the power to, to shock the dog. And so to speak, you know, uh, in that process, meaning that the, the, the dog learns to respect the bird, um, mm -hmm. if you're doing it right. So that when that dog goes over a mountain and points a chucker and you're not there to say, whoa, and coax it, it's still holding because it respects that bird in the way that you've trained it. Um, that the bird, the bird is the one who kind of holds that power to the dog now. And how does that hmm. work in the hound? You know, how does that look? Well, you think about things like danger, right? Um, uh, you know, you, you, you've got a dog, um, you know, God forbid, you know, it's happened, you know, a dog, uh, young pup, you know, chasing a deer and you're worried about it going in, into a road. And, um, well, you know, if you're a houndsman and you're yelling at the dog and, and, you know, and, and giving it some, some electricity, um, to get it off the deer. So it doesn't run in the road and it's not running a deer. It's associating that, that with you yelling at the dog. Right. Mm -hmm. But what if we got to a point where you're just doing it and it looks at that deer and it's like, I don't like these deer. They, sh they, they shock me. And then it's learned. I, I don't like deer. Not, I don't like, I like, you know, the, the handler isn't the one who's kind of present, but I mean, that'd be a small example, but I don't know. It's always intriguing to me. And I feel like I learn something every time I take my dogs out. 
The Houndsman XP Podcast Network is powered by Cajun Lights. All of your lighting needs for hunting can be taken care of at Cajun Lights. They have three models of cap lights. I'm going to run through them real quick. You've got the Rogueroo, which is their high-end light. If you're a competition hunter and you got to find that coon up in a tree and it's all riding on finding that coon, you'll want the Rogueroo on your head. Next is the Bayou. That's a pretty standard light, but it's got packed with features. It's got multiple colors. It's got walking lights. It's got the red, the green, the amber. It's all built in right into that light. And then you have one of my personal favorites, the Micro Gator. The Micro Gator is an ultra lightweight cap light. It's got all the features of a white light, red, green, and amber. I've used this light for everything from finding bear tracks early in the morning to coon hunting at night to working on plumbing in the house changing tires on the side of the road my truck doesn't leave the driveway without a cajun light in it and that light is the micro gator every cajun light is durable made from the highest quality components and it is backed by cajun's top rated customer service check out cajun lights you can go to our website at houndsmanxp.com go to our sponsors page hit that link it'll take you right to cajun lights check them out they got a lot of stuff to offer over at Cajun Lights. You're exactly right. As trainers, when we insert our emotional state into it, it's natural for us to yell and scream, you know, yell and whoa, or, you know, try to recall them. And we're yelling at them and we're trying to teach them the same thing. Not te- you know, when you teach a recall, you'll, you'll add a small stem at the right time to get them to recall. So when, what are you really teaching the dog? Are you teaching him not to run deer? Are you teaching him a recall? I like what you're saying there. You know, you know what he's doing. You're sitting here and you're watching him. You're hearing him burn it out of the country. You know, he's not running the game you want like that. (laughs) And so instead of you're saying, instead of verbalizing because out of anger or, uh, something like that. We just give them the, the correction. Yeah. So, so think of it from the dog's perspective. Um, you know, a dog's chasing a deer. Let's just say that it's a situation where you're within earshot, you know, and you start yelling at the dog to come and you're shocking it. Like you said, you know, you're looking at like, that's more of a recall situation and the deer's involved, probably confusing for the dog too. But what does that do when that dog is, you know, three miles away on a cold lion track and it sees a deer and starts running and you're not there to yell at it. Right. So, but if that deer or sorry, if that, if that dog is chasing that deer and you're watching it, you know, and I, you know, you've had this with a young pup and um, you know, you're watching it and like, you want to yell at the dog because you're upset and you're emotional. You don't want the dog to get hurt. You don't want the deer to get caught, whatever. Um, But, and your buddies are standing there. Your buddies are standing there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's like that, uh, that office quote, you're looking at the dog and you're like, why are you the way that you are? But, um, <laughs> but, but yeah, you know, if you, but, but if you keep your mouth shut and you, and you start hitting that dog with increasing electricity and the dog's head, all his mind is thinking about is that deer he's chasing. And, and now he's getting shocked. And you, if the dog starts looking at it, like this deer can hurt me, this deer, I respect, and I can't mm-hmm. chase this, this deer. I chase cats and I get to the tree and it's fun and the master pets me and everything's great. But when I chase these deer, my neck hurts. Right. I, I think the, do- the they're associating that with the, with the deer rather than you, 
you know, yeah. whether it's a porcupine or whatever, you know, tr- you know, sure. trash animal, um, you know, and then recalls it yeah, a whole nother piece, you know, like you talked about, um, you know, recalling a dog is one of the most important safety pieces you've got to have. Um, but you know, how many times have you, you know, I've seen people where they're just, they're angry at the dog, right? The dog didn't come back and, and they finally get the dog back, you know, and then they're, you know, they're, they're kind of, where you're going. They're, they're being, they're, they, I, you know, they're, they're yelling at the dog and it's like, anytime a dog comes back to you that you've called, whether you are super mad and you've been mad at this dog for the last four hours, you just act like you just got to pet it and pet it up so that it's happy to see you. And otherwise you can't blame a dog for not recalling when it gets screamed at, when it gets back to the handler. You know, dogs are so keen on reading body language. They know what you're thinking without you saying a word. You know, we used to have a saying oh, yeah. in, in police canine training, you know, everything, every, all of your emotions are going to be translated right down that leash, right down that tracking lead. They're going to know exactly how you feel. And Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So well, think about the difference when you go when you go to feed your dogs and when you go to get your dogs to go hunting. You could yeah. be wearing the same clothes. You could be do, walking the same time of day, but those dogs know as soon as they as soon as they see you, like we're going hunting today. Like, and they they figure that from the body language that you're you're not even trying to project. You know. That's right. That's right. You know, it's I can walk out to my barn a hundred times today, and <laughs> the dogs are laying out there in the kennel and they're looking at me. But if I walk out to the barn, walk in my shop, bring the GPS collars out, start <laughs> turning them on, man, everything here goes into, they know what's happening. You know, um, you're exactly right. Body language. And, and, you know, getting back to the recall thing, I used to be that guy, you know, you, you'd, they'd get back to you and you'd be frustrated and you scoop them up and you open the dog box door and you throw them in there and, and boy, you just showed him and, and he'll, you know, I feel better because I vented that dog doesn't want to recall the next time. He's just out there hanging out, just thinking, I ain't going back there. I'm not doing that again. Last time I went back that moron, he, you know, he threw me in the dog box and was screaming and yelling and, and scruffing me up and all this stuff. So now, you know, I may be mattering a hornet, but I do my best to be the biggest hypocrite that dog's ever seen in its life. You know, I've two seconds ago, I was complaining to my buddies and cussing and ranting. And as soon as I see that dog, it's like, Oh buddy, here you are. Good job. Let's go get in the truck, you know, throw him a treat in there. You got him back. Yep. Yeah. That's uh that's the, uh, and, and it's hard to do, you know, and I've, I've had them, you know, where the dog's coming back and they can, they know you're upset with them. Um, you know, and what I found, like, just something as simple as, like, they can read your body language, like you said, you know, something as simple as just, like, taking a knee when the dog's getting close. They kind of like, okay, like, like, he really wants me back. He's happy to see me, you know, and yeah. kind of getting down at the level. But, yeah, because yeah. they, they do such a good job of, of, of reading you and knowing what's going on. But, yeah, and it's, and, and, and as dog handlers, we're all, we always make mistakes and we're always learning. But that's a, that, that recall one, um, you know, when you, if you start looking at it from the dog's perspective, you know, um, yeah, I mean, if you're a little kid and your mom's yelling at you to come in, and then you come in and she's screaming at you, you don't want to come in the next time, you know? Yeah, because uh, you know you're gonna get you kind of delay it out. <laughs> everything is just behavior manipulation, is all it is, you know. Now, if a dog dog comes slinking back in after he's run a deer, then I'm not going to be his buddy. You know, I'm not going to rough handle him or anything like that. I already gave him the correction. Put him he in needed. the truck and go. Yeah, yeah, but it's going to be like get in the truck, 
you know, very deadpan, low key, and he's got yes. his head hung and he loads up in the truck. But 15 seconds later, a dog knows what happened 15 seconds ago and what's going to happen 15 seconds from now. So 15 seconds later, it's a new day. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I used to, <laughs> I used to think, uh, you know, the, the wife would say, oh, you're going hunting again tonight. And you'd have a little tiff there in the kitchen. It's like, it's like, well, I'm just going hunting, you know, and, and you get out there <laughs> and, and before you know it, you're mad because I should have said this to her and I didn't marry her. So she could tell me what to do and all this stuff. And then before you know it, you're taking it out on the dog. <laughs> That's never a good thing either. So they absolutely yeah. can read everything. Uh, they're mind readers. Yep. Uh, yep. I would, I would agree for sure. They, they, they know what's going on and they kind of give you these looks and they'll cock their head. And um, <laughs> I think they just have a, yeah, they, they, they can feed, they can, they can see, you know, what's going on, you know, with you and, and kind of, they, they can feed off that one way or another, you know? Right. Right. Yeah, for sure. What else, what have you seen going back to bird dogs that you've learned from hounds? <laughs> um, I mean, I see that one of the big, trying to understand. So, okay. That, that this is a, that, that's a good question. Okay. So looking at, um, looking at, I, I've learned a lot, both, both sides of it, but like, you know, you know, I, I kind of, you know, you see, you see these dogs coming back, you know, or, or being, you know, passed down from wolves basically. Right. And, and then mm -hmm. breaking into, you know, breeds for, uh, you know, based on, um, you know, selective breeding for, for whatever the, you know, the breeder was going for, you know? And so, you know, the hounds I think are less far removed, but you know, it's just interesting. Like when you, when you study, for instance, just the, the, the prey response of a wolf, right. You know, it's got these different steps of, of when it smells something, right. And then it stops for a second, you know, and you'll see that with a hound, you know, they'll, they'll have that flash like, Oh man, this is a cat trap. And then they go. Um, but you look at like a pointing dog and what selective breeders have done, have they have accentuated that particular piece of the, the wolves, um, you know, sort of, sort of prey cycle where it smells the scent cone of the animal, which happens to be a bird for the bird dogs. And it pauses for a split second, right? You see the little, you know, the yeah. little eight week old Brittany raise its leg and pause for a second, go in, right. you know, and this is all coming back from that wolf piece, but, but with the selective breeding, they've accentuated the pause. Like this is, this is what we're going for. Right. Um, yeah. you know, where it, it's just more, it's like a few steps, a few, a few steps down the road where, where the hounds, it's like, Hey, we're just, we're just like, we just, we, don't, we, we want you to chase animals, but not kill us like the wolves would. You know, and so you, you know, you kind of see this, this difference of, uh, of kind of where they're at in that, um, that cycle. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I think another piece is if you can get, um, if you can teach proper handling to a hound and just have a good handling hound that recalls well, um, that you can walk on a trail with, it's not going to bust out you know, unless you want it to, if you can do that with a hound, then you're going to do great with a bird dog because they, they ca bird dogs catch on to things so much quicker. And people know this who have labs and Britney's and pointers or whatever, you know, they catch on to things quicker. Um, but, but if you can do basic obedience with a hound, then you're going to do really well with, you know, with a bird dog that just picks stuff up quicker. Yeah. Do you think you can put too much obedience in a hound? <clears throat> um, I mean, that's a good question. So, can you put too much in them? 
they're probably not as versatile in that that aspect in that in that respect as as maybe like a lab um okay so what am i getting at like i had my buddy chess like his hound his hound would fetch um his hound could you know roll over and do all these kinds of different tricks and stuff um i mean i i i just want recall and then the handling around you know when i'm when i'm hiking because that's obviously real important to me um mm-hmm. I, I don't know that I, I, I don't know. I'm curious. I, I don't know that I've seen detrimental effects of that. Um, I don't know. Have you experienced that where people maybe, you know, teach them too much and then they can't do what you want them do, to do or? No, it's just, it's just one of those. We try to address some of those. Um, I think the old timers, you know, always talked about don't pet that dog. It's a hunting dog type thing. But I saw that in bird dog guys too. You know, they, yep. they, but today's hunters, the more, um, I don't want to say younger guys, um, but I guess they are, um, today's generation are, are doing things. It's like you take, um, some people that I know and they're say they're in their thirties and I see them you know, having this relationship with their hound, but they're still being effective. And so the reason I ask you that is because maybe to dispel some old wives tales that, that you can't have a good, good handling hound and still have an effective high performing hound. Um, and, and probably the best example of that to give you an idea, I don't know if you ever spent any time coon hunting when you're from Missouri, grew up in Missouri. I did. I, I didn't coon hunt in Missouri, but maybe one or two times with someone, but I've kind of had a little out just a little. I mean, I've, I grew up from the time I was 13 with dogs that I expected to walk with a slack leash, you know, but as far as any solid recall, any type of any type of thing beyond that, I want them to load. I want them to, to walk, heal it with a slack leash, um, without yanking me, but, but overall, my experience was you open the, the dog box door, you wrestle with the hound, you try to get the, the snap in the D ring on the collar. He jumps off the truck. He pulls your arm, almost pulls you over, pulls your arm out of socket. He drags you to where, uh, you kind of, he drags you in a certain direction. You try to direct him towards where you want him to go. And then you unsnap him. And then at the tree, you drag him back to the truck and hope they don't pull you off your feet. You know, and, and I saw a lot different type of behavior when I started hunting with Western houndsmen in dangerous landscape, where you've got to be able to recall a hound, you know, it was, it was, I really didn't get real serious about it until I saw how Calvin Redhouse handles his hounds. I saw these dogs across a Canyon and he recalled them off of a tree. And I, I just stood there and I was like, I've been doing this for 30 years and I've been a moron the whole time. This is possible to do this. And he, you know, they're under a lion tree and he's like, Hey, let's go. That's enough. We're done. Or whatever he said, I can't remember. And, uh, boom, you know, they just started peeling off the tree and coming back across that steep Canyon and climbing back up the other side and walked out with us with a lion in the tree. And so I brought that home and started training all my, my coon hounds the same way. My bear dogs the same way. The dogs I lion hunt, they're all the same dogs. So I just taught them to handle. 
Yeah. And I, yeah. And when I was in the bird dog piece, you know, the bird dog world, uh, you know, when, when you chat with people, they, they have those questions a lot, you know, can it be a family dog and a hunter? And I think, I think it is that piece, you know, with some of the old timers that just kind of looked at it as one or the other. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's, yeah. Like, you know, my, my bird dogs and my hounds are my buddies and, you know, um, you know, once and again, they're in the house, not much. Um, right. But, but yeah, I mean, and I also have four little kids that grew up with my hounds and my bird dogs and, you know, they're, they're, they're buddies and they'll kind of, right. you know, hang out get licked in the face and then the dog goes, but, but yeah, with the handling piece, I can't, uh, I mean, we've all been there, you know, where you're, you know, you're at a track and, and, uh, you know, somebody opens the box and this crazy dog jumps out and takes the back track and can't be recalled. And it's just like, you know, uh, yeah. I don't know what you got to lose in trying to, you know, get a little <laughs> bit more control on the hound and, um, and, that, and that's a piece, you know, with the walking, you know, I, I've had a, a good buddy of mine sold me a started hound and he's like, she's really hot, you know, but you're going to be perfect. Cause you're going to, you know, through your walking, you're going to be able to teach her, you know, to kind of chill out. Uh, Cause with the walking, you don't want to, you know, I don't want to walk 10 miles with a, three dogs on a leash, right. you know, they got to be able to, you know, hang out with me. And that doesn't mean they can't stick their nose and tracks and, you know, and, 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 uh, and cast a little bit. Um, depending on the situation, but if I'm walking a Canyon, that's got like week old snow in it. And I'm looking at all of these different tracks, trying to find, you know, a lion track that they might run over, you know, they're walking single file behind me. Um, Mm -hmm. but, but yeah, I mean, and that's, and part of that again is, you know, that, that the way I hunt, you kind of, kind of need a little bit more control than, than if you're just driving up to a track with a dog box. That's interesting. That's interesting because the like my hounds will will go out and hunt in front of me like a bird dog, and yeah. then when they come across a track, then they'll you know you can you can tell if they start sin hooking and doing all that stuff, then they're getting ready to run something. Um, so yeah, and mine will yeah my, I'll cast mine up, but go ahead. No, that's that's what I was going to say. Go ahead. So so so. You know, if we're, if we're walking in real in fresher snow, um, and I'm not really, you know, and I'm not worried about them running over something, um, and, you know, missing it, um, you know, I'll let them cast around and, and go. And sometimes, you know, if I keep them within 50 to 80 yards, depending on, I want to be able to see them. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I don't want them to take a track the wrong way, you know, um, yeah. that's one piece, but the, the, the other piece that I run into is, you know, if you're hunting old snow, especially in deer wintering areas, um, you know, it can be hard to figure out what's going on. And I don't want 30 dog tracks on top of everything in front of me. If I'm trying to help figure that out now, again, and I've, I've hunted with buddies in that situation. I have a, a good buddy. And it was like, I remember, you know, we were walking in one of these canyons and he's not a, he's not a walking hunter. Um, you know, his, his hound was casting way up and, you know, and, and it hits a track, you know, 300 yards away from us and starts going, you know, and I'm like, I'm like, dude, like, that's fine. There's a 50% chance it's going the right way. Um, there's also a chance this thing's three days old, uh, and, and we can't drive around to go pick up your hound. Like we're kind of committed. So it just, you know, you want to give the hounds the freedom to hunt and find stuff. Um, but, but also, you know, I don't want them taking a three day old track the wrong way when I'm five miles into the back country. And so I do try to keep them, you know, on those, on those types of hunts, you know, where, where I can, sure. you know, have kind of control. Everybody has got, you know, we, we've said this before, every place has its own challenges. And as long as people have got a system that works for them, yeah. 
I mean, yeah. absolutely. I, I remember um, we were bear hunting down in the White Mountains, and um, we got to the top of this big ridge, and we were going to – I mean, this was a thick, nasty cutover area. And so we're just going to – this is the first experience I ever had with this. Like, we're going to – we're just going to free cast dogs down this canyon. And I'm like, that's that's the game I'm talking about. Because a typical coon hunt, you know, I I could walk across my bridge right here uh, in into my field, and I turn that dog loose, and it's his job to go find the track. You know, shoot out there in the dark. He might do it at 100 yards. <clears throat> he might do it at a quarter of a mile, but he's going to find the track, and he's going to tree it. But like you said, your situation you can't just hop on the next County road and go pick up dogs or head dogs off. And, yeah. you know, you could, you could be hunting a young dog and they hit an elk track. They, you know, and decide that's the day. That's the day I'm going to moose moose sure look fun to run. And, you know, just too many variables there. So I, I always like talking to guys and, and hearing how they hunt and sharing those stories. And, and you're, you're unique anyway, because, um, you know, most of your hunting's done on foot, no machines, just ground pounding. Yeah. And we, and that's, you know, when, you know, it, it, unless it's fresh snow, I mean, if it's fresh snow, we, we hit the track and I make sure they're going the right way. Right. Um, yeah. but you know, when you've got old snow and, you know, I mean, the first thing I do when I find a track in old snow is I've, I, I tie my dogs up and all my buddies know this, you know, as soon as like, Hey, there's a track you know, we tie them up. Of course the dogs go nuts cause they know they're, they're, they're about to go, but you know, I, I'm going to walk <laughs> in the track. Response. Walk. What's that? Conditioned response. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and, and good. I'm glad they're excited, but, but it might take me a while. Cause I might, I'm you know, oftentimes I'm going to want to walk the track to where there's a bear. If I'm not sure, I'm going to walk it to where there's a bear hillside. I want to see if there's sun in it. You know, I want to see what we're dealing with before I cast them into the back country. Um, you know, where I, where, where I, physically cannot get a vehicle, you know, to them. And so it becomes, you know, it's, 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 uh, I mean, if you're hunting in a place where you can zoom around in a snowmobile and get behind this mountain and around this mountain and up this next Canyon, you know, you turn loose on something a little older than you want to, you know, it's not kind of the end of the world, but you know, I mean, what happens, I mean, you can already have a Tom walk 10 or 15 miles in a night on regular fresh snow, you know, then, yeah. then what happens when you get, you know, and, and what happens is I know, you know, I've turned on those tracks. You're like, Oh, I don't know. It might be a couple of days. Oh, we'll see what happens. And those can be some really long, scary days where you're worried about the dogs and they go out of reception and you're in foot and you're way back there. And so I, I, I tend to be kind of discerning, you know, based on my own condition response from, <laughs> you know, from having that experiences. Yeah. <laughs> Totally understand that. Totally understand that. But yeah, the coon hunting, I, I, the coon hunting stuff's really neat. And I, I've, I've done just a little bit of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, I, 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 I wish I had hounds when I lived in Missouri, you know, cause there were a few farms that we had access to that I would love to take hounds back and, and run some raccoons. And, um, and I don't, I, I mean, my, my most memorable coon hunt was with a porcupine and it was not, a fun experience, but I learned a lot that night from, from the porcupine. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't, it, 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 it drew me away from it for a little while. So. Yeah. 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 Turns out that a dog that will bite a bear will definitely bite a porcupine. 
I've pulled quills before. First time I experienced them was up in uh, Michigan, up in the Manistee National Forest, and dogs come back with face full of porcupines. I'd never seen, I'd never dealt with porcupines. It's like, what do we do? You know, you start pulling <laughs> porcupine quills and hope you get them all because you always heard all, I always heard all the horror stories about breaking one off and it just keeps festering and, and everything. So, yeah, that's a different experience for some. It was for me. Well, yeah, it was, it, and I was with a buddy who who'd kind of gone through it before. But yeah, we we ended up with this this porcupine deal, and we got the dogs off of it. And like one or two of my dogs had you know seven eight quills in its nose in their noses, and then the other one it was just everywhere. And you know like I didn't it was you know, a porcupine. Yeah, you know, and I'm I, I'm like you know I grab one quill and pop it out. My buddy looks at me like I've got three eyes, and he's like, "You're gonna be here all night." You know, he grabs he's got his leather, and he grabs five or six pulls them out, you know, we got it all done with, but yeah, they're scary with the, the ability of those things to kind of migrate, you know, yeah. under the skin in different places. But, um, sure. yeah, yeah. But, but that's, that's, it's almost gives me, I don't like, I'm not a big fan of the porcupine. <laughs> me neither. Me neither. Yeah. It yeah. turns out that when God makes an animal that is slow enough for a toddler to catch on the ground, he gives it something, whether it's a skunk or a porcupine that is just kind of its way of, of saying, don't, don't F with me, you know? And That's so, right. <laughs> <laughs> yep, for sure. For sure. Well, Nick, yep. I'll tell you what, man, I appreciate you coming on the podcast and, and, uh, sharing your story with us. I don't, we probably didn't, we could talk another three hours for sure. But, um, so where all can people find your work as a writer? Cause I, I can't stress that enough folks. If you haven't read, read any Nick's stuff, make sure you pick one up, you know, it'll inspire you. Well, that's, that's kind you? of, yeah. yeah. So, um, I've got that, you know, the one online and field ethos, um, that was in their print magazine, but they've recently moved it to online. Um, I do quite a bit of stories, um, probably more so than any other magazine for sporting classics. Uh, really like that, that magazine. Um, they really, um, value, you know, kind of the art of the narrative. Um, I've yeah. had a few in, in sports of field as well. Um, and, and I think, you know, uh, and these are, you know, some have been, you know, big game, African hunting, big game, Western big game, a lot of hound stuff. Um, but I, I respect the heck out of magazines like field ethos, sporting classics, sports of field that will put, um, you know, they'll, they'll put a hound magazine, they'll put a hound story in, you know, and, mm -hmm. you know, and I've seen even, you know, sports of field where, you know, someone writes into the editor, you know, you, you know, it just, just kind of the, the, the general BS you hear about hound hunting. It's not this Saturday or the other, and, right. and they'll come out straight up and just say, no, we support this as a, as a ethical, uh, you know, means of take. And, and, and I appreciate that, that support that they do that. Absolutely. Have you ever thought about, uh, you know, starting a website, having a website or, or is it possible for you to take those articles and, and post them on your website or are they copyrighted so, or anything like that? Yeah. Good question. So the, you know, the, the sporting classics, um, the, the sporting classics editor, you know, he, he's let me, you know, just put them on my Instagram page and, and, and send the link for kind of their, um, their, their online, uh, magazine link, you know, to kind of, you know, mm -hmm. just, just for spreading some of the stuff. Sure. Um, you know, if, and I mean, if, if, if anyone's, you know, wanting to, to read more, uh, or something, you know, if they look me up on Instagram and shoot me a message, I'd be happy to just send them some stuff, um, you know, that, that I'm allowed to. So, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, if you could figure out a way to throw up a, a GoDaddy site or something, you know, just a one pager, it's like, you know, story yeah. with links to the field ethos and to sports a field and the, what was the other one? The classic, what was that called? Sporting classics. Sporting classics. You know, yeah. the, they'll just drive traffic to their sites. Yeah. No, that's, yeah. that's a good idea. And I appreciate, I appreciate the kind words. That's a, uh, you know, you, you, you've written. And so, you know, you know, you you don't, uh, <laughs> Not you, you don't, the, the feedback isn't there. Right. You know, you don't, you know, some, sometimes people look me up, Hey, that was a, that's a pretty cool article or whatever. And, um, but, but I appreciate the kind words. So that, that yeah. does mean a lot so that another, sure. another hound and hunter, uh, you know, at, at least for a moment was, uh, was kind of brought back to the mountain maybe. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, Nick, um, Thanks for your time, man. I really appreciate you. you agreeing to do this and telling your story from, from Idaho there. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Chris. I've, I, I sure appreciate it. Enjoyed, enjoyed chatting with you. And next time you're in income, you better stop by. We'll run something together. I, I added your uh, number and everything to my contacts. So next time I'm, I'm through that country, I'll look you up. <laughs> right on. Thank you, sir. All right. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Houndsman XP podcast. We gave you all the, what's your, uh, what's your Instagram handle, Nick? So people can find you. It's just at Nick Muckerman. Easy enough. When you got a name like Muckerman, you don't need to get fancy. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. So thanks for tuning into this episode of the Houndsman XP podcast. Make sure you're following our social media platforms. You can get all of the episodes. One thing I've got to remind everyone of is the new network. And I've done it myself, so I know you can find it. But after March 1st, the only place you're going to be able to find the Houndsman XP podcast, the journey, Dogmen, uh, all mixed up. Um, what else we got going on there? We're adding another show that's coming up. I'm not going to let that out of the bag yet. But uh, the only place you're going to be able to find that is on the Extreme Performance Outdoor Network. So what you need to do is you need to go in your phone and you need to open up wherever you're listening to podcasts and you can search it now, Extreme Performance Outdoor Network, and you can start picking up the feed as they drop every week. And after March 1st, it's the only place you're going to be able to find it. So make sure you're doing that. Until next time, this is Fair Chase.